Well, we are in week five of six in this series called Who Needs God? And, and if you haven't been with us, I encourage you to go back and listen. There's a, a little bit of foundation work we did over these last four weeks, um, and I'm not going to rehash it all today, uh, but I want to encourage you to go back and catch up. You can find it on our website. You can find it on iTunes, uh, this series called Who Needs God? And, and today, the number one issue that comes up in any discussion about the existence of God or the relevance of God, and the issue is what about pain and suffering? What about pain and suffering? What about all the bad things in the world that seem to happen to good people? I want to remind you of some of the bad things, because some of us are in a season of, you know, things are okay, right? Like maybe COVID didn't hit us too hard, or maybe work has been great, maybe kids are doing, maybe we're all healthy and things are going great. So just want to remind you of some of the things people are thinking of when they ask the question, what about pain and suffering when it comes to this God thing? Well, in 2020, over 3 million people died in America. Now, we could have a very entertaining conversation about what they died from or how they died or how we're laboring those deaths or what category they're put in. But the reality is over 3 million people died and every single one of those deaths brought with it some type of loss. Someone lost mom. Someone lost dad. Someone lost a sister or a brother. Somebody lost a child. Someone lost a mentor who was like a second father to them. Some lost them to a brutal illness and they watched them slowly waste away. Some got a shocking phone call in the middle of the night and there was no opportunity to say goodbye, but over three million people were lost in 2020. Every year in our country, hundreds of thousands of marriages end. And with every one of those broken relationships comes pain, a sense of betrayal, some crushed dreams, and some kids left in the wake. If they did a survey, they typically find that over half of black men and women admit to experiencing some type of discrimination in the workplace at least once in their life. And every one of those experiences comes with some anger, with some fear, sense of a lack of value in their life, a feeling of powerlessness, feeling like this is unfair, why is this happening to me? Every year, the average is about six million car crashes in our country. And those crashes have all levels of impact on our life, on routine, on budget, on family. Every year, millions of Americans are fired or laid off from their job. And that brings with it all levels of impact on life and routine and budget and family. 43 million Americans suffer with some type of mental illness. And that brings with it a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. Many of them suffer in silence. Also, on average, about 24,000 babies are stillborn every year. Some of you know that anguish. You've felt that pain, that loss, thinking, man, this is unfair, asking why, right? Questions that go unanswered in so many circumstances. All the pain, all the suffering that happens just in our country alone. And the question becomes, how can there be a good God if all these bad things happen? It's a difficult question. It's a tough topic because for many of you, this is more than a sermon topic. This is your life. This is your reality. It's more than just a bad day for you. It's more than just a bad week. For some of you, it's more than just a stretch of bad luck. Instead, it's maybe a lifetime of struggle, maybe a never-ending stretch of difficulty with no end in sight. And so I want to acknowledge this morning before we get into the meat of this topic There are no well-thought-out answers. There are no intellectual arguments that can make 
pain and suffering go away. There's nothing that can be said this morning. There are no songs that we could sing that would make you walk out of here thinking, oh, everything's good. Because it does just, doesn't just fix it like that. It doesn't fix the problem, but it also doesn't eliminate the need to address the issue as part of this series. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to trust God to, in his way, take kind of the intellectual nature of this talk and somehow touch your heart in just the right place, in just the right way that you need it the most. And that's what we're going to lean on this morning. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. God, we pray for exactly that. We're going to lean on your Holy Spirit to do a work this morning. Whatever words are spoken, whatever songs are sung, whatever conversations are had, we're going to trust you to step in and do your thing. God, we know that there's nothing we can do um, to fix the world in this moment. There's nothing we can do to fix all of our problems, and yet uh, we're going to trust that your truth uh, and your Holy Spirit is going to do the job for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, part of the struggle with pain and suffering a lot of times is the way in which people on the outside of that pain speak to those who are experiencing pain in very personal ways. Because when we're in those moments, we ask, well, why is this happening? What, what can I do right now to make this better? How, where is God in my pain? Where is God in my circumstances? And there are some very common responses that get thrown back at people when they're walking that type of road. One of the common responses is, I don't know, I'm not God. Now, that's very true. It at least avoids the fruitless attempt to try and fix things, but it's not always the most helpful. It can come across cold, and I'm not ready to handle this with you. So we thought, hey, I'm, I'm not God. You're going to have to take it up with him, right? That's a, a common response if not verbally, then at least in our body language and in our attitude towards someone who is walking through a season of pain and suffering. Another common response or a common attitude is the Jesus take the wheel response, right? Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with turning our struggles over to God, and we should. However, if you remember from the first few weeks of this series, we're talking about people in the category that we would call nuns. People who, are, who have some sense of spirituality, who probably believe in some type of a God out there somewhere, and yet they're not all in, right? Something has pushed them away. Something has kept them from going all in with their faith. And so when we say things like Jesus take the wheel or take that mindset, we're talking to people who don't necessarily believe that there's a Jesus to give the wheel to. Or if there is, they don't know him well enough to trust him with it. Another one is God has a plan. God has a plan. Now, that's absolutely true, just like the one before, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Absolutely true. Now, notice the important part of that verse. It says, and we know. Who is he talking about? People who are all in with Jesus, who have that sense of faith and belief and put their trust in his life and his death and resurrection. But here's the thing. Others don't know doesn't eliminate the power of the verse, doesn't make it any less true. It's a statement of our confidence in God. But just like we said with the last one, it makes it a tough standalone response to someone who's struggling but doesn't have a trust in God, doesn't have a trust or working knowledge or foundation built on Scripture. So to hit them with an encouragement on confidence in God and His plan doesn't always help because we might be talking to someone who doesn't acknowledge that plan, doesn't acknowledge the truth of the Scripture that we're sharing. Another common response is, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's a terrible response, not because it doesn't sound nice, but because it's absolutely untrue. It's something taken out of context from Scripture. The, the verse that gets misconstrued is from 1 Corinthians 10, 
that talks about he won't, how God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can control, right? If you're faced with a temptation, if there's an opportunity to break away from his will for your life, if there's an opportunity for sin, God won't put you in a situation without an out, without an opportunity to escape that temptation. But it doesn't say he won't give you more than you can handle in life. In fact, he says the exact opposite. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says he will allow us to experience difficulty, allow us to experience something beyond what we can bear ourselves so that we're forced to rely on him instead of ourselves. So God will give you more than you can handle sometimes. And so that's not a good response to someone who's going through pain and suffering. Now, here's the thing. I think we'd admit that for the most part, if we get a response that doesn't help, if we hear a response from someone, they've taken an attitude that doesn't feel helpful in the midst of pain and suffering, I don't think it's from bad intentions. I don't think any, maybe there's some jerks in the world who show up trying to make things worse, but for the most part, I think people show up trying to help. They're trying to encourage. They're trying to lighten the load. But oftentimes, something might be good, something might be true, but we have to remember we're talking to and we're talking about the nuns, people who don't have that foundation, who don't have that belief, and they're asking very difficult, very common, very legitimate questions. And the big question is, if God is all good and God is all powerful, how does evil exist? How do bad things happen? Because if God is all good and evil keeps happening, he must not be powerful enough to prevent it. And if God is all-powerful and evil keeps happening, he must not be all-good, because if he was powerful enough to stop it, why would he allow it to happen? Difficult questions. And we hit some of the the tough responses to people who are walking through that, but here's what I want to do. I want to hit four important truths about pain and suffering just to help with our perspective a little bit. And I want those four to kind of lead us in to the big important truths that I want to hit when it comes to that particular topic today. So we'll circle back to our landing point and kind of our response to that question of how could bad things happen in a world with a good God, an all-powerful God. So some important truths about pain. Pain often prevents other more severe injuries. How many lives have been saved by simply paying attention to the dull pain in their left arm? Right? Especially some of you guys, as we get older, the heart disease starts kicking in, the arteries get a little bit clogged, and sometimes we get a little warning, right? A little pain in the arm with smaller symptoms, but when paid attention to, those pains can save your life. How many horrible relationships that people have avoided because of the pain they've associated with previous relationships. Maybe a a horrible experience with a previous significant other or a parent in their life who treated them poorly. Maybe there was some abuse. And as they walked through that and healed from that, the pain was real, but maybe that pain saved them from making the same mistake later on in life. Guys, I'm going to hit you again. How often do men shake their head at the thought of a colonoscopy? while also realizing that it could mean the difference between stage four cancer and a few shady polyps. Right? Pain often prevents other injuries, more severe injuries. Another important truth about pain, pain is often an important part of healing. Physical, of course, talk to surgeons, talk to physical therapists, talk to coaches, talk to bodybuilders who are shredding their muscles every single day, right? Uh, they have found that during the healing process, our cells actually respond positively to pain. It can help stimulate the growth 
and repair process from whatever we're recovering from, whether it's muscle-based or joint-based or whatever. It applies to the mental and emotional things that we go through as well. Talk to counselors, talk to parents, talk to teachers. They'll tell you that we have to deal with pain in a healthy way. We cannot ignore it. We cannot hide it. We cannot run from it. And part of the reason, this is part of the reason why it's so important not to self-medicate, right? People get stuck in the world of alcohol and drugs or pornography or food addictions or, or an addiction to Netflix and whatever is rolling next. It allows us to pretend for a few moments that there is no pain and that is not a good way to go about things. What the experts tell us is that, is that if it's handled correctly with the right guidance, the pain of trauma is part of the healing process from that trauma. Pain is an important part of a healing process. So, part of the healing process, it can prevent further, uh, worse injuries. Pain is not always a punishment. Sometimes, absolutely, right? We're going to talk about uh, decisions and consequences with the next one. But Matthew 5.45, it says, he, that's talking about God, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The circumstances, the ebbs and flows, the moments of life come upon those that we would label as evil and those we would label as good. Difficulty, and heartache and struggles aren't necessarily a punishment for something bad that you did or someone that some, something that someone did to you. Sometimes life is just unfair. It's not always a punishment. We live in an imperfect world, and imperfect things happen to people we would call bad and people we would call good. Pain is not always a punishment. Another one. This is a big one. Some pain is avoidable. Some pain's avoidable. You touch the stove, you get burned. You get obsessed with TikTok and don't study, you fail the test. You play Fortnite all summer instead of going to voluntary workouts, you get cut. You choose to do the exact opposite that your parents tell you to do, you get busted. Now, there's some kids in the room, they're like, how come all the examples are for kids? Oh, we're going to get your parents with the next one. So raise your hand if you're sitting next to your parents. I can see you. You might as well raise your hand, right? I'm not that far away. Okay, so you're sitting next. Now, some of you are sitting next to a spouse that this will apply to. I want you to do, kids, I want you to do what my kids do to us. And when I say this next one, I want you to look at him and go, ooh, burn. Okay? Just this one. Sometimes we discover that we spend our 20s and 30s eating garbage, and as a result, we spend our 40s and 50s eating dandelions and cholesterol pills. Ooh, burn. I know there's some kids watching at home who got to turn on the couch and nail mom and dad with that one, right? There are things that apply to all of us where sometimes it's simply a result of the decisions that we've made and we reap what we sow. Now, don't do the ooh, burn thing on this one. It's a little bit more serious. But sometimes you spend 18 years treating your kids like gods and you drop them off at college and you don't know how to be married anymore. You say, oh, but Justin, my teacher hates me. That's why it worked out that way. Justin, my coach plays favorites, and that's why I got cut. Justin, my spouse doesn't respect me, and that's why we've had these issues. And I might say, stop it. This one's on you. Life's unfair. Pain isn't always a punishment, but sometimes pain is avoidable because it's directly related to this, the decisions that we make. Now, of course, we don't choose all of our circumstances, but here's where we come to the most difficult but most 
important truths when it comes to pain and suffering and this good, all-powerful God and the presence of evil in the world. This first one's difficult, but it's very important. Truth number one. When it comes to pain and suffering, it all started with us. When it comes to pain and suffering, it all started with us. It's a consequence of our sin. Let's go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 16. This is after uh, Adam and Eve have eaten from the forbidden fruit, and God is walking through the garden. He discovers that they've realized they've fallen, and there is shame, and for the first time in the world, there is guilt, and they're experiencing all that comes with that, and God has to let them know, as a result of what has happened, how things are going to play out the rest of the way. Genesis 3.16, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Anybody ever wonder why you hate going to work on Monday mornings? We blew it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you, eat, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. You see, God created the potential for evil, the potential for pain, the potential for suffering, but it was humans who made that potential a reality. It started with us. And you say, well, Justin, why even make it possible? Why? It's that age-old question you ask when you're seven. Like, why did he put the tree in the garden anyway? Why did he make Satan if he knew everything was going to happen the way it was going to happen? Why give us the choice? Well, we've been hearing from our buddy C.S. Lewis throughout this series, and another quote I want to read from him today from his book, Mere Christianity. He addresses this exact question. Lewis says, Free will is what made evil possible. Why then did God give people free will? Because free will, while it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of creatures that work like machines would hardly be worth creating. You guys, for someone to love, for someone to be loved, requires them to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable for love also allows for the possibility of hate and pain. God created us for a perfect, loving relationship with him. But in order for that to exist, he had to allow for the possibility of the opposite. And unfortunately, we as humans have chosen the opposite. When it comes to pain and suffering, all the evil in the world, all of the loss, all of the heartbreak, all of the betrayal, it all started with us. But that leads to a very important truth number two. Because even though we created the problem of pain and suffering, God provided a solution to that problem. It talks about the solution in Hebrews chapter 5. And once again, it all comes back to Jesus. Here, Hebrews 5, 7 while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. 
Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for those who will obey him. Guys, Jesus entered our pain. In leaving heaven and coming to earth, he entered the brokenness that we created for ourselves. He entered our pain, and then he took on our suffering, and then he rescued us from our self-made consequences. And after rescuing us, he said he'll promise to walk with us the rest of the way, no matter what else we face. Psalm 23, famous chapter in the Old Testament, says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because someone gave me the right verse at the right time. No. I will fear no evil because the right song came on the radio at the right time. No. I will fear no evil because somebody left a quote in my mailbox at just the right time. No. Somebody gave me an encouraging word at just the right time. No. I will fear no evil as I walk through the valley of pain and suffering because you, God, are with me. Please hear this, because some of you walked in here hurting. Jesus is not ignorant of your pain. He is not absent from your pain. He experienced your pain, and he is present in your pain. Catch that, because we create, even if your circumstance is not directly resulting from your decisions, we as human beings created this problem, and he came to give a solution. And it's not some distant solution. It's not some solution with the uh, throwing of a scepter down on these little people here on planet Earth. It is personal for him. He is not ignorant of your pain, and he is not absent from your pain. He experienced it himself, and he is present in what you're experiencing right now. He provided a solution to the problem. Truth number three is also very important because some of our pain, some of our suffering will not end here on this planet. But truth number three is that we are promised a better future. Whatever the past looked like, whatever the present looks like, we are promised a better future because in Christ, pain and suffering are always temporary. The Apostle Paul wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament, and he endured more difficulty, mostly on behalf of his work for the gospel, but he endured more difficulty than most people will in their entire lives. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was left for dead multiple times, he was betrayed by best friends, he was left hungry and tired and weighed down by the pressure of the mission that God had given to him. But listen to what Paul says in the midst of all that, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Paul says, this is why we never give up, because though our bodies are dying, though we're experiencing the pain of this life, the suffering of this life, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small. Now, it might be, we might put that in the list of responses that doesn't help, right? If you walk up to somebody who's experiencing pain and say, honestly, in light of eternity, your troubles are small. But here's the thing. Paul isn't saying that in some trite way as someone outside of pain. He's saying that as someone who's experienced far worse than most of us ever will. He says, in the midst of all this stuff that we're working through, our present troubles are small and they won't last very, <clears throat> excuse me, they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last 
forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. In the midst of whatever struggle we face, whatever pain we're asked to endure, we can have confidence that God is loving us, walking with us. He is shaping us into the people that he wants us to be, using the pain and suffering, using the consequences, using the moments in our lives to shape us. And ultimately, he's promising us and preparing us for something unimaginably greater when the pain and suffering is over. When it comes to pain and suffering, it started with us. But God entered that and provided a solution to the brokenness that we experience. And if we'll carry on with him faithfully, he promises something in the future that far outweighs anything that we could experience here in this life. A couple practical things to kind of leave you with because I know some of you did walk in here hurting and, and maybe, you're, maybe these uh, scriptural encouragements aren't doing the trick. So I just want to give you a couple really practical things that can maybe set you on the journey towards a little bit of relief. A couple steps towards healing perhaps. This first one starts with another quote from C.S. Lewis, this time from his book called The Problem of Pain. He says, we can ignore pleasures, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If you're experiencing pain, I want to challenge you to acknowledge the megaphone. Don't ignore it. You don't have to pretend it doesn't exist. You don't have to downplay it. Acknowledge the megaphone, but listen for that still small voice of God and how he might want to speak encouragement into your life in ways that no human could. And he might want to challenge you and shape you and love on you in ways that no person on this planet could. Psalm 68 says that God is a father to the fatherless. He's a husband to the widow. He offers joy to prisoners and he offers families for the lonely. He is everything we need at any given moment, especially when we're bearing the weight of pain and suffering. If pain of some kind is demanding your attention, pay attention to it. Allow that to be the megaphone by which God grabs your attention and then turn to him and listen for what he may have for you. Pay attention to the megaphone, and yet listen for that still small voice of God. Second one is this. If you're experiencing pain, if you're struggling, please ask for help. Please ask for help. It's not courageous to hide it. The most courageous, strong, important thing that you can do in the midst of your pain and suffering is to share it with someone and ask for help getting through it. That person might not have all the answers. That person might not have the wisdom you need or the steps that you need, but it's important to share it because that is the first step in the healing process. Don't carry that burden alone. Ask for help. A couple little things for those of you where maybe someone that you love is struggling. Maybe you're on the outside looking in. You're not sure how to step in, not sure what to say, not sure what to do for them. Um, I'm going to go very like old school pastor here thing. It's going to be ABC, 
okay? Now, in the first service, I said all these things, and I thought they were pretty smart. Nobody was writing them down. Nobody was typing in their phone. This is good, all right? So somebody write this down, so I feel like maybe we're helping somebody. All right, so here it comes. A, B, C, if someone that you love is struggling. First one, A, acknowledge their reality. Acknowledge their reality. Denying their pain or questioning the validity of their experiences, it's not going to help. Not going to help. Just because you aren't seeing it, just because you aren't hearing it, just because you aren't walking through it, just because you haven't experienced it, doesn't mean that they aren't, doesn't mean that it's not real for them. So acknowledge their reality. Now, if, they, if they're experiencing consequences of decisions that they've made and you, you have a close enough relationship where you can say, hey, I, I noticed, I, 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 I see what you're saying. I, I understand that you're hurting. I just want to draw your attention to, have you considered that whenever you do X, Y happens? Right? Whenever you engage in X, you experience why? Now, if you, certainly, if you have that type of relationship, there's nothing wrong with drawing their attention to that, but the key word is empathy, right? Step into what they're experiencing and put yourself there. Allow yourself to acknowledge whatever reality it is that they're facing. So that's A. A, acknowledge their reality. B, be available. Be available. Answer questions if needed. Suggest some outside resources or next steps if that's what they desire from you. But honestly, guys, sometimes just shut up and listen and be with them. Some of us talk too much when things are good. When people are struggling, sometimes you just got to be quiet and sit with them and listen and hear them out. Learn to be quiet and be available. A, acknowledge their reality. B, be available. C, cover them in prayer. Now, that's the one you're supposed to say in church, right? But that's the biggest one because here's what we know. Most of the time, there's nothing you can do to fix it. You cannot help them. You're trying to be available, right? You're trying to acknowledge their pain and, and put yourself in their shoes. But like we said, all the verses in the world, all the quotes in the world, all the songs in the world aren't going to fix what that person is going through. But God can do all of those things. God can when we can't. So cover them in prayer. Acknowledge their reality. Be available and cover them in prayer. Those are some things that we can do. I want to recommend a book. Um, if, if you're walking through it right now or if you're helping somebody walk through it, this is a book we went to uh, last year about this time in a series called Hope in the Dark, kind of loosely based on this particular book. Um, Hope in the Dark by Craig Groeschel. Strongly recommend it. Just great mix of practical and, and spiritual and emotional and all those different things. Um, I'd really encourage you to grab it if you're going through some difficult times or you know someone who is. And just like last week, I'll leave it up here. I'm done with this one. You can come and grab it. Um, uh, I know who grabbed the one last week, and you can't come grab this one because someone else might want it. A little stealer. Uh, sorry, it's my buddy back there who took the book last week. So I'm going to leave this up on the stage if you want to grab it under the condition that when you are done, you pass it on, okay? I'm not giving this out so it can collect dust on your really cool bookshelf, let you look smart for your friends. Um, so Hope in the Dark by Craig Rochelle. And ultimately, guys, our biggest struggle with pain and suffering, I think, is the fact that we know it's just not right. It's not how it's supposed to be. 
One final quote from C.S. Lewis, he said, If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What you know should be and what you know could be in this life, Jesus says will be. But until then, there are going to be things that we just don't know. There are going to be things that we just don't understand. There are going to be moments where it appears the wrong side is winning. But Jesus promises that what you know could be happening, what you know should be happening in your life and in the lives of the people that you love, those things will happen. And until then, we live with hopeful expectation, knowing that he's going to take care of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. And God, although we've, we've acknowledged that it's only you that can fix things, only you can step in with tangible change and tangible results in the things that we're experiencing, God, we just trust that your word will do its job. God, we'll trust that some of these things will continue to gnaw at us and, and maybe come back to our mind at the right time when it's time to walk through a dark valley, when it's time to walk with someone through a difficult season. God, we love you for not only proclaiming the truth of the gospel, but proclaiming the ways in which that can change our lives in these very practical, very intimate ways. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Guys, have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week.